Gordon and Barbara and Kent for reading our scripture this morning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, the first six verses. Did you notice the title to my message today? You have to look again at it. Not, not, neither, nor, nor. It's not a not, not joke. As a matter of fact, I mean it, and if you Look at your text, whether you're reading the Old King James or the New this morning, you'll find these five words in the text. So you kind of have to look and mark them, and they will be the uh, points that I'm going to use this morning in, in the message. Now, next week we celebrate uh, eight years as a church, Faith Baptist Church in Smithville, Missouri. And I would say that there's been no year like the year 2020, uh, not in the life of our church or probably any other church, at least in our lifetime. And it isn't done yet, is it? I mean, even this week we found out there are more battles to come uh, uh, in our country before this uh, year is done, especially with an election and a Supreme Court nominee coming up. So uh, I have to think... You know, there must be some way that God is sifting us as wheat in this country. Uh, but just as we have obstacles, we also have opportunities. And if God's people will take advantage of them and do them, uh, I think things can be good. John Walvoord said of this second chapter of Thessalonians, he said, There are many communities in America that need desperately churches bearing a real testimony for Christ. Can we have such churches? The answer is found in the second chapter of 1 Thessalonians, uh, as it is always in the Word of God. Read uh, just again with me verses 1 and 2. He talks about in verse 1, our entrance in unto you. That takes us all the way back to Acts chapter 17 when he came to Thessalonica. And then he reminds them in verse 2, we suffered before, and I'm reading the old, older words, shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi. Now, if you, you remember that story of uh, Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail, and the events of chapter 16 and 17 of the book of Acts, <laughs> let me remind you of chapter 17. After they leave Philippi, so here, here are your two missionaries, and first of all, they're, in, they're beaten and are in jail in Philippi. Then they go down the road to Thessalonica, and they're run out of town in Thessalonica. And then they come down to Berea, and they're run out of town again. And so they flee all the way down to Athens, and they spend time at Athens. It has a nice sermon going on there, but absolutely no results in Athens. And so they go up the road a little ways to Corinth, where they end that chapter, and uh, cause such a riot in Corinth that they're taken to, to court in the first Roman court uh, that tries Paul in his ministry. I often think, you know, if one of our, you know, if, if that kind of a missionary would report home to the average church today, the church would probably say, you know, you've caused us a lot of embarrassment, <laughs> uh, and we're not so sure we really want to support that kind of a ministry going on. And yet that's the kind of ministry that the Apostle Paul had. In a topsy-turvy world, in a world, by the way, not so much different than the one we live in now, 
I want you to notice two things before we get to those, those uh, five words in our text. One is down in verse 4. Notice where Paul says, we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. You and I, folks, have been put in trust with something from God, and it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're put in trust with something, you're a trustee. I just spent two, two days in Iowa because I'm on the board of a Bible college and seminary there, so therefore I'm a trustee. And we had a person, a very qualified good man, speaking to us for a day and a half on the responsibilities of trustees. And he had been the president for years, most of his life, of a college and seminary, and now he works for the accrediting association to do these uh, uh, updates and lectures for colleges. So it was very good. But through the whole time, he's telling us, do you understand what it is to be a trustee? You understand that the responsibility for these things lies on your shoulders. And if something happens, as it happened, by the way, recently in Lynchburg, if something like that happens, it's your fault. You should have taken care of that. You should have done this. You should have been on top of these things. To be a trustee is a critical thing. Paul said in, to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. I'm a trustee of the gospel. You know what kind of responsibility that is? And Paul is saying to the church, you have that. You, church, are a trustee of the gospel. And this is why in our current shutdown, folks, as far as I'm concerned, the most critical thing about it is to shut down the churches that are trustees of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no more important thing going on in this world than that because these are the things that count for eternity. So that's the first one. We're, we're a trustee. We're put in trust with the gospel. The second one is back up in verse 2 where he says at Philippi, we were what? Bold in our God. Now, if you're a trustee of the gospel, you need to be bold about it. And so we have this gospel that has been trusted to us. Do we have this kind of boldness? This word's a common word, but it's a word here in this verse that has a lot of prefixes and suffixes attached to it, and it turns out to be an eight-syllable word, and I decided not to try to pronounce it. <laughs> but, but the root word parousia, it mean, it's like parousia, but it's parousia, which means boldness. Let me remind you that, for example, the Bible tells us that we have boldness in prayer. Do you remember that? Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you have boldness in your prayer? It's a little easier to in a prayer closet to have boldness. We have boldness uh, in thinking about the Lord's coming. 1 John 2, 28 says, Now little children abide in him, that when he shall appear, you may have boldness and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So you have boldness in your walk and your expectation to meet Christ. You have, here's an interesting one in speaking, and this happens often in the New Testament. Acts 4.29, the apostles stand up and say, Now, Lord, look at their threats 
and grant to us your servants that with all boldness we may speak your word. We're entrusted with the gospel. Give us the boldness to say something about it, about the gospel. There's an interesting use of this word in Colossians 2.15 having to do with Christ on the cross. Remember where it says the, the law was nailed to his cross? Remember that passage? And then it says in 2.15, having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. The word openly is the word boldness. He made a show of them boldly. He followed God's will boldly on the cross and died for our sins and triumphed over the powers of evil. And notice in verse 2 of our passage, we're bold, what? In our God to speak, not in yourself and not in your own power, but believing that the Holy Spirit resides in you, that the Word of God is, is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. You can be bold if you know those things. Donald Gray Barnhouse, when I was reading him here, he said, The church is satisfied to live and let live and is not bold for the proper things. Too many times the church wants to reform the lives of unsaved people instead of giving them the truth that transforms them. We can be pretty bold when it comes to easy things and things that people want to hear anyway. But how about the gospel that most people don't think they want? Can we be bold in that? Well, now I want you to, to look with me at this passage. And I want you to see <clears throat> these five things. Maybe I would call them, these are things that rob us of our boldness. As a matter of fact, I look at these five things as a disease going on in our churches uh, in the United States of America. And I'm talking about churches from all the way from the super liberal churches to the fundamental churches. We all have these diseases, and if we're not careful, they will infect us. And that's why I word them the way I do. And so, did you find the first knot uh, here? It's in verse 3. So, because I'm a, I'm a trustee of the gospel, because I'm supposed to be bold in my God to speak it plainly, he says, our exhortation was not of. In the older version, they puts the words in this order, deceit or uncleanness, or in guile. Let me tell you about those three words. Deceit, plainness, which means to be led astray, like to be led astray of the, of the powers that be. To be, it, it's, it, it's used of a shooting star led astray into the blackness of darkness forever, for example. And, and so in 2 Corinthians 4, 2, we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. If we mix our trust of the gospel and our boldness with deceit, with being led astray, or secondly, uncleanness is usually referred to as immorality. Think of the shamefulness of things going on. Uh, even in the churches of Jesus Christ, much less in our own country today. In Corinth, where Paul was writing from, they had the temple of Aphrodite, as in, in most Greek cities they had these kinds of temples, and prostitution was the sacrament. 
Prostitution was what you did to worship. That was the kind of world they live in. Not much different than us today in the liberal churches today. Abortion is the sacrament of the church. It's the sacrament of liberalism. We have to keep this, you know. We can't do away with it. It's people's rights, you know. And that's the way we think today. But my boldness is not in deceit or uncleanness or in guile. Dolos, this is the word for trickery. It's the word for bait. Guile, I mean, you know, if you're a fisherman, if you like to fish, you've used bait. If you have bait that fish like to eat, then you put it in front of them because they're hungry and they want to bite on that. Of course, they don't know that inside it there is this hook that's going to be their destruction. Or you, you pull this shiny thing through the water and they see this shiny thing and so they, they go after it, but it's not really what they think it is. And that becomes their destruction. And so this trickery, this bait, sometimes it was used, they had a world of wandering minstrels, jugglers and other, you know, magicians and other things, and they would go from place to place and they would do their tricks and all, and people would say, oh, wow, and they would get a crowd together. We, we call them snake oil salesmen, you know, uh, not really what you think you're getting. In 2 Corinthians uh, 2.17 we have it this way. We are not as so many peddling the Word of God. It could be hawking. You know what a, to hawk something is? When you go to the state fair, you go to the county fair, there's a guy there that wants you to play his game. And so he's yelling to you, hey, come over here and play this game. Hey, come over. You know, I'll let you do this. You can win a prize. And he's hawking his wares. And Paul says, I don't do that with the gospel. I give it straight out. I give it exactly what it is, not with deceit, not with uncleanness, not as a snake oil salesman. We call them hucksters, charlatans. I saw a week ago or two weeks ago, whatever it was, down in Joel Olstein's church, the largest church in America, evidently they have some kind of a pond outside their church, and they have stepping stones underneath the waters. And so he and Kanye West were walking across these with the appearance of walking on water. Now, everybody knows they weren't, but they draw a crowd so everybody can see them do it. Folks, you know, and that's the largest church in the country? That's why people come to this? You know, some years ago, I read a book by C.S. Lewis called The Abolition of Man. When man is done, and this had to be, you know, 60, maybe 70 years ago that it was written. And he talked in that book about men without chests, men without chests. He said they have guts, they have visceral appetites, but they have no heart and they have no conviction. And everything they do is not uh, judged by their heart and their conviction, but by their visceral appetite. They are men without chests, and that will be the abolition of man. Boy, how prophetic was that? when we look at our world today. And so Paul says, it will rob you of your boldness if you mix the word with deceit and uncleanness and guile. Secondly, trying to please hearers. Did you find the second not? It's in verse 4. We were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, which I've already uh, spoken about. Even so, we speak not as pleasing men, but God which trieth the hearts. 
Not being men pleasers, literally, is what it is. Listen to Paul in Galatians 1.10. Do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? If I still pleased men, I would not be the bond servant of Christ. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Rather than persuading men and pleasing God, I think too often we try to persuade God and please men. And that's what Paul's saying you cannot do when you've been put in trust with the gospel. The gospel doesn't please the world, folks. As a matter of fact, it's an offense to the world. And when we preach the gospel as it is, it says you're a sinner. It says there's, there's a hell waiting for you of God's wrath and punishment if you don't accept his salvation. Who wants to hear that? In, in a world that, that wants, you know, just everything to be nice and not offend anybody, who wants to hear that? Paul said in Galatians, if I, brethren, if I preach the law, if I preach circumcision because that's what the Jews want to hear, he says, why then am I suffering persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. And I will not let the offense of the cross cease. You must hear it. You must be offended by it and fall on your knees in repentance to it. It's quite a statement, really. I remember years ago reading about Francis Schaeffer. Francis Schaeffer, uh, some of you may have, have read him. He died in 1984 of cancer, and he died right up here at Mayo Clinic in Rochester. And uh, while he had cancer, uh, he had to go to the clinic a number of times for treatment, and he was so renowned as a, as a Christian writer and speaker, and I think I read everything that he wrote. I still have those books. But because he was this kind of a man, they actually at Mayo Clinic gave him a room to lecture in while he was staying there for his treatments. And so he told the story at one time of a young man, an intern who worked there at the hospital, who finally came to hear him. And after hearing Schaefer speak, he waited till everyone was gone and he came up to him and said, Dr. Schaefer, uh, thank you for speaking the way you did. He said, because I've never heard a Christian speaker speak like this. He said, they always tell me of what Christianity will do for me and how it will, it will help my family and how maybe it will make me more successful in my business, how it will uh, help me here to be a better doctor. But he said, you didn't tell me any of that. You told me the truth of what it will cost me if I do not accept the gospel. He said, thank you for telling me the way it is. I always remember that story because I wonder if we speak to please men or we speak that way. Thirdly, the neither in verse 5. For neither at any time use we flattering words, as you know. Flattering words to flatter people? Now, here's a word that's interesting. You know that I like to look up words, and when I look this word up, I found out this is the only place this Greek word is even used in the New Testament. So, you know, when you, when you have a word that only appears once, you don't have anything to compare it to. So how do you define this word? Well, uh, the, the grammarians and, and historians, they go outside the New Testament to find out how this word has been used at other places. One of the 
great Greek scholars, uh, American scholars, was A.T. Robertson, 100 years ago, more than that now. Uh, he uh, used the English word to conjole, or cajole, C-A-J-O-L, to cajole, which, I, you know, I've used that word. Uh, I can't pronounce it real well, so I try not to use it too often. But I mean, you know, uh, to conjole somebody. And I, so I got to thinking of that word. Here's a, here's a Greek scholar who uses that, and I'm not even sure what that English word means. I'm going to look it up. So I went to Webster, you know, and I opened it up, and, and I've still got my mom's old 7th uh, edition Webster because she was an English teacher. And so I look it up, and here's the first line <laughs> under what cajole means. To chatter like a jaybird in a cage. <laughs> Honestly, that's exactly what Webster says. <laughs> to chatter like a jaybird in a cage. Can't you see it? You know, you put this jaybird in a cage and that's all he does. Flattering. Just talking, I guess, to hear yourself talk. Talking to flatter someone else. Boy, is that not a poison in even our churches, and of course in our politics, and in our speaking today. I had looked at a passage in Ezekiel 12 where uh, the prophet says this, or God is saying actually, Son of man, what is this proverb that your people have about the land of Israel, which says, the days are prolonged and every vision fails? God is saying, who started that? Tell them, therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will lay this proverb to rest, and they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel, but say unto them, the days are at hand, and the fulfillment of every vision. Don't tell me that these things will never come to pass. You better tell them it may happen at once, and you better be prepared for it. And I thought of Peter's words in, in 2 Peter 3, 3, know this first, that uh, scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts, saying, where is the promise of his coming? Since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. In other words, who, you know, we don't have to really believe it that way. Do you know how many flattering words are out there to, in order to please people that they want to hear? Why is it that we have homosexual pastors doing same-sex weddings in churches? Because they need to flatter the people, that's why. And for that matter, why do we even have lesbian preachers? Or why do we have women preachers at all? You say, well, the Bible doesn't really have to say it that way. Yes, it does. You have to take the Bible for what it is. Why? Let me tell you, the LGBTQ days are coming. When these are going to come into our churches and those that flatter them are going to say, well, it's not so bad. The Bible doesn't really mean it that way. We can take it this way. Anything to flatter the day. Paul says, you do that, you've lost your boldness for the gospel. This is not what the Bible says. Okay, well, I, I've covered three points. I have two more to go. I stopped here and, and thought just because I'm at the bottom of the page. <laughs> You know, uh, I, I, was, I was thinking about these things, you know, mixing the word with foreign matter, trying to please the, the hearers, and using flattering language. You know what I really can't stand? I can't stand commercials. Isn't that odd? If it weren't for, if it weren't for the mute button on my TV, I couldn't watch it at all. 
because I got to I got to mute that stuff. Some years ago, I read a book by uh, Neil Postman called "Amusing Ourselves to Death," and he and he gave the history of where commercials came from and how they started up in our country years and years ago. Uh, the first commercial was just a sign put over somebody's door. You know, otherwise you needed something. You went and looked for somebody that had something what you needed. And then commercials began. As somebody says now, we've gotten to a place where uh, they're trying to sell us things we don't need with money we don't have for a lot of things we really don't want, right? That's what a commercial is. I'll give you an example. I was, I was coming back from Iowa this week from being up there at the meetings, and, and uh, Thursday and Friday, all day long, meetings, 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 and I had to do a presentation on Thursday, and so it's, it's after 5 o'clock Thursday, and I'm headed home, and it's a three-hour drive back to Kansas City, and, and so I'm hungry, and I say, okay, I'm going to, I don't want to get out and eat somewhere, I'm going to go through a drive through get it, and eat it on my way, so you know how it is, you go through the drive through and there are these pictures Man, that looks really good. That burger's about, you know, it's got to be that tall. With that thick piece of meat and there's a tomato and, a, you know, lettuce on there. And, man, that, that thing really looks good. And so I go through the window and say, give me one of those. And sure enough, I get up to the window. I, by the way, they make you pay first, right? Because if you paid afterwards, well, anyway, they make you pay first. So you pay you go, and you can't even, you're outside, you can't even complain. So you get the sandwich, and I got it in my bag, and I drive away, and, I, and then I pull it out. And sure enough, there's that sandwich. And I'm looking at it saying, where is that picture I was looking at? You know, this doesn't look at all like that picture. It's about this big, and that picture was like this, you know, right? That's commercial. I call the commercials the obvious lie. I, I've done that for a long time because there's no way they can fulfill what they're telling you this product is like. And that's what a commercial does to you. I won't tell you about going to the, to the market downtown to buy apples because you know I like apples and I eat an apple every day. And I thought, well, good, I'll go to a farmer. I'll get really good fresh apples. No, I bought them. They still had the barcode sticker on them, and the guy bought them somewhere. When I got home, they were just as mushy as they get anywhere else. But, you know, 100 years ago, that A.T. Robertson, like I told you, had the word cajole. He wrote this about this passage. He said, few temptations assail the preacher more strongly than this one to please men. Even if God is not pleased, though with the dim hope that God will, after all, condone it or overlook it. Nothing but experience will convince some preachers how fickle is popular favor and how often it is at the cost of failure to please God. And yet, the preacher wishes to win people to Christ. It's all as subtle as it is deceptive. So we trick people into being here? We promise them things that aren't true so that we can say they were here? Or we can say we said something about the Lord? As subtle as it is deceptive. Now, let me go to the, to the fourth point, okay? The nor and the nor, if you will, all right? The nor 
is found in the second part of verse 5, nor a cloak of covetousness. Both the old and the newer versions use the word cloak here. It's the word mask, a mask for covetousness, greed, the ability to have more. In other words, do, do we preach the gospel in order to get more stuff so that we can have more? You know, there's an expression in the New Testament called making merchandise of something. And uh, it appears a number of times uh, in the New Testament. For example, 2 Peter 2.3, through covetousness, they with deceptive words make merchandise of you. You know, the word merchandise is the word apothecary. It's, 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 the, it's the store. It's the place you go uh, like the market. And uh, here's a guy hawking his wares, for, so to speak, and he's doing it to make merchandise of you. Is that why we do what we do in the ministry and with the gospel? Just to have more? Jesus, when he came into Jerusalem that first time in John chapter 2 and saw them selling things in the, in the temple, he said, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Is that why you're here in God's house, just to profit from it? And Paul says here uh, that it's a terrible thing to have a mask of covetousness. You know, that sometimes that greediness can be because of impurity. There are people who like impure things, and that's why they're in the ministry who being past feeling, giving themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Colossians 3, 5. Put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Take this in the right way, folks. And by the way, Paul, Paul was so conscious that no one would think that he was preaching to them for money. Four times, I think it is, in the New Testament, he says, God is my record. I do not do this for money, in so many words. God is my record. I'm not preaching to you out of covetousness. Because that will kill our boldness and our trusteeship of the gospel. I say this, that the ministry, in many ways, folks, has become big business. The ministry is big business. And it takes that to make it successful. We need to build. We need to grow. We need to be successful. And oh, yeah, don't forget to give God credit. He must like what I'm doing because, I mean, couldn't Joel Olstein say, God must like what I'm doing because look how big I am. Look how successful we are. God must be pleased with it. And isn't that how we evaluate everything, what we're doing? And, oh, yeah, don't forget to recognize me in your magazine, by the way, too. So, you know, we want that recognition, and that is what ministry has become. And so I say to you, and I would like to see Faith Baptist Church grow in true converts and members who love the Lord as much as anybody. But God help us if that's why we're here. We're here to worship God and to be trustees of the gospel, and to say it plainly, and then have fellowship with people who accept that. That's what the ministry is about. And lastly, the other nor loving the applause of men. In verse 6, 
nor sought we glory of you, of others, that we might have uh, been burdensome as the, God, as the apostles of Christ. The glory from men, not from the men, not from the world. I don't want glory from the world. Not of you, the church at Thessalonica. I don't care about glory from you or even from others, maybe my peers, maybe Peter, maybe John. I don't care about get, receiving glory from them either. So in Galatians he said, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Are we in it for the glory that comes to it? I'm burdened for our churches. I really am. I'm burdened for our, our conservative, our fundamental, our Baptist churches across this world. They can't find pastors. And young people will not come to those churches. And I'll tell you why. Because there's no glory in it. And so let them die. Let them go away. Let them all kind of disappear. We'll do our own thing. Because there's more glory in it than that. I know they're not all that way. But boy, it's, it's, it's pervasive in the ministry today. Let me remind you that in Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself of, those, of that glory so he could die on the cross for us. Let this mind be in you. Now, let me, let me take you to a few verses in conclusion. Verse 10 of the chapter you're looking at. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy, justly, and unblameably we behaved ourselves. You see the word holy? Boy, if you want a word that our generation doesn't like, there's one. Let me go over to chapter 3 and verse 13. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. Holiness? Before God? Now look down at chapter 4, verse 7. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, comma, what are you despising? Holiness. Despiseth not man, but God, who hath given unto us his, what kind of spirit? <laughs> Holy Spirit. He's not just the Spirit. He's the Holy Spirit. And if you despise holiness, you despise the very Spirit that's inside you because He's a Holy Spirit. Back to what that young man told Francis Schaeffer up at Mayo Clinic. No, you didn't give me a commercial. You didn't flatter me. You didn't do it for covetousness. After all, you're dying of cancer. Just truth. Just the way it is. I'm holy. Be you holy. If you want to stand before God, you have to repent of your sins and ask Jesus Christ to save you. And this, this world is passing away, but the things of God will be eternal. That has to be the passion of our heart. We are stewards. We are trustees 
of that message. And it's the most important message in the world. Stand now with me, if you will. We're standing. We'll go to the Lord in prayer. We'll sing a song. And my prayer is that God burdens our heart individually and as a church for these things. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these words. And we find ourselves thanking you for words that we hardly live up to. And uh, Father, when we search our own heart, we see our own need. So Father, here in this room, just as individuals, we come before you asking you to expose these things in us and show us these things. And as a church, as we approach our anniversary time, Father, make us right. I'm aware, Father, that it's it's difficult to even speak of these things, and I don't want animus or ill will in my heart or anybody's heart because of it. We just want to do what you want us to do and be what you want us to be. So help us, Father, to have a heart for these things and bless this church. and Bless it in the years ahead. May we be a lighthouse in this country that needs lighthouses so badly. And may you be honored and glorified by it. Speak to our hearts now as we sing, as we end this service. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Gordon's going to